to Boating Industry Insider, where we talk to executives, thought leaders, and movers and shakers from both inside and outside the marine industry. Now here's your host, Content Director and Editor-in-Chief, David G. Hello, everyone. David G, Content Director and Editor-in-Chief at Boating Industry with another edition of Boating Industry Insider. Thanks for coming along. I'd like to introduce you to Roberta Matusen. She's president of a consulting company. Her clients include General Motors, Microsoft, as well as some small to medium-sized businesses, and the author of six books, including the most recent, Can We Talk? Seven Principles for Managing Difficult Conversations at Work. So good to have you talking with us today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, David. I'm so delighted to be here. So we are talking, we'll, we'll talk about a wide range of subjects, but uh, we're going to start with something that we hear about, read about every day, and it is called The Big Quit, The Great Refusal to Work, and you say, mm, not so fast, um, might be a bit of a misnomer. So let's start there. Why, why, why is that not being accurately portrayed or, or even use stronger language, a bit of a lie? Well, I believe it's a lie because a lot of people think that people today don't want to work, but I don't think that's true. I just think they don't want to work for you. Hmm. Okay. So how do we, how do we change that? What, uh, what are some tips that you can give for being a preferred employer at a time when, man, employees are, are kind of in short supply? Well, they definitely are in short supply. And so, you know, it's time to take off those blinders and it's time to take your head out of the sand and stop believing that this is something that's going to go away anytime mm -hmm. soon because it is not. And so you need to, as a business owner or a leader, you need to make sure that your organization becomes the destination organization because, you know, this big quit is happening, but many of these people are running to someplace else, right? Mm -hmm. They're not all just leaving the workforce. And so you want to be the company that they're all running towards. Interesting. You know, whenever, whenever I have authors on to, you know, we talk about uh, an engaged workplace and, and fostering a, a good culture at work so people's voices are being heard and, and they're being valued. I, I sometimes think that, I don't know, we were kind of oversimplifying that. What's what's your take on on that? And is it is it more than that? Is it is it, you know, uh, are we giving short shrift to to what we need to be to to really be that preferred employer? Honestly, I don't think that we're um, I don't I, I think that it it is that simple. And that's the problem. It is that simple. And therefore, how can it be? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, companies are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on employee engagement programs that, well, if they did work, we wouldn't be seeing this happening. But it just feels better to, you know, say, oh, well, we have a program. Right. And so mm -hmm. then this is going to go away rather than me as the leader changing my behaviors towards my people and the practices that I am um, setting up for my company and the culture that I'm establishing, right? It's just so much easier. Let's just buy a program. Mm -hmm. And it is simple. I mean, if you look at the fundamentals and you look at the fact that, you know, if you treat people the way you would like to be treated, if you help people achieve their, you know, goals and their dreams, 
if you give them what I call magnetic leaders, which are these leaders that, you know, you just stick to because they're so great to work for, you know, what more, you know, what more could you ask for, right? As long as you're being, you feel like you're being paid equitably. I mean, that is, that is the bottom line. And I would, I would parse that a little bit by saying uh, simple, but not necessarily easy, right? Yes. <laughs> We make that distinction. You know, I was reading an article in the, the Washington Post last night about, I mean, talking about how how this has has permeated so many levels. It's it's not just, uh, you know, big employers with with career type jobs, but it was an article about about uh, amateur referees at, at youth uh, sports like hockey and soccer and, and you know, so, uh, some different uh things happening there, but, but they decided, Hey, you know what? Uh, I don't need to, to, to get paid 50 bucks to give up my Sunday afternoon to, you know, go and be yelled at by, uh, by a bunch of parents at a hockey or soccer game. So, so they're quitting it. It's, it's really not. And we know, you know, every time we go out to, to eat at a restaurant, I've, I've been traveling lately and, and haven't had regular uh, room service or or turn down service at any of those hotels. So a lot of those people in the service industry done, did come back. It is really permeating kind of every segment of our workforce, isn't it? Yes. And, you know, the other day I was at Whole Foods and I was at the bakery counter and I looked up and I couldn't believe the sign that was there. And it said, you know, come work for us. Um, We pay double overtime on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And then the sign said that's a minimum of $30 an hour. And so you look at this example of these referees. Do I need to stand outside in the cold, in the rain, in the elements dealing with parents or could I and could I make twice as much, you know, working at the bakery counter? I mean, like, really, if you if you look at this and then the same thing's happening, you know, that there's a cascading effect. So people uh, let's just take new college grads. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. They're coming out and you you think you're offering them a great salary. You think, you know, you're paying them you know, $20 an hour, which is like, I don't know what, 42, 50,000 mm-hmm. a year. Yet they can go to work for Amazon without a college degree and and make, you know, almost that much. So it's really this is the time that you really need to be rethinking and readjusting what is considered a good wage so that when you're looking for talent, you are able to compete against, you know, even the big guys, but even the little guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things for anybody who is uh, or has ever gone through a, an ATS system, applicant tracking system, and, and gotten confounded or uh, frustrated or had their, you know, work uh, disappear, you know, two-thirds of the way through the process or gotten through the process and, and you know, kind of self-selected out at some point in the, the funnel, uh, it, it is really quite uh, laborious to apply for many jobs. Do you see that changing? Uh, do we need to make it easier to find, you know, good talent, qualified workforce? Well, I tell my clients to go on to their own website mm-hmm. and apply for a job <laughs> and see if they, if they even get called for an interview. Interesting. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> see if they can come out well, of that ATS. 
see see what it's like yeah. to go through this experience. See if they can even find the apply now button on their own website because you'd be amazed. A lot of companies don't even have an apply now button, even though they think they do. And so I feel like you need to get away from the African tracking systems and and you know use personal connections, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you need to turn your entire team into a hiring machine. And I've been showing clients how to do this, like how to train their people so that they can be like recruiters on the ground all the time. Because these, you're right, these ATS systems, they're really screening talent out Mm -hmm. and they're not helping you get talent in. Interesting way to to think about it. (laughs) Kind of the opposite of of the desired effect. When uh, you obviously, you know, have a a large suite of services and and, and, uh, an interesting background in terms of what you've done and what you do, what uh, can you tell me? Are there are there one or two things that almost literally, without exception, every single one of your clients is talking to you about or asking for help with? They are all asking me to help them with their um, three things: employee retention, okay. um, helping them, you know, become an organization that's where employees want to come to work and customers love to do business. And they're asking me to work one-on-one with their leaders to mm-hmm. really help in the development, you know, working as an executive coach because they have some leaders who are good, but they know these leaders need to be great. And so the work that I do with them is really helping them step up to the next level so that they're able to effectively manage through these challenging times. You know, we all know those companies, uh, you know, a longtime marketing guy and, and no companies that that have, you know, a set of values or a mission statement, you know, on their website or, you know, above the door or in the, you know, in a conference room. And you know that they don't, uh, in many cases, live out those values so much lip service. Uh, are you are you sensing that? And I'm sure there are companies that's, that that are going through that today. Say, oh yeah, we you know have a CEO or top down somebody saying, yeah, we need to be more engaged. We need to be a preferred, a preferred employer of, tro- of choice. We need to do this. We need need to do that. But but saying those things and and being and doing those things as we both know, as we all know, very different things. Uh, do you think there's a, a real sincerity on the part of employers these days to to get better at at valuing their employees? Well, I think it really depends on the organization. Sure. And, you know, there's a lot of disconnects, right? So it's like the game of telephone. So you have the CEO saying, you know, these are our values. This is what we stand for. And then you have the executive team who's like, yeah, rah, rah, these are our values. And then the next level down, the directors, maybe they don't sort of get that mm-hmm. message because mm-hmm. no one's maybe even told them. And then they're expected to cascade that down to the next level. And by the time it gets to the employee, you know, if you ask them, you know, hey, could you name one of our one of our five values? They'd be like, what value? Like, what are you talking about? So I think there's a lot of disconnect in communication, um, which is why I wrote, you know, my newest book, Can We Talk? So that we can get people in organizations talking up, down and across the organization because the conversations, um, I don't know, I think that they seem to have gone um, away like the moment everyone got sent home, you know, into remote work. 
Let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, you know, the genie kind of uh, came out of the bottle there, uh, you know, uh, when people got sent home and, you know, many organizations probably found that that uh, in terms of collaboration and communication, that that things were, you know, just as good, if not better. Sometimes we have to be more deliberate about seeking people out when we're not seeing them uh, in the break room or the conference room or, or whatever. And now we're seeing, you know, as people drift back, some some that are, you know, some Wall Street firms are saying, nope, everybody has to come back. You have to be in the office. Uh, others that say, well, we'll do hybrid. Others that say, well, uh, when the COVID thing disappears, we'll, you know, bring everybody back in, you know, uh, in the interim, it's remote. I mean, we're kind of all over the board. Do you think we'll ever go back to the way things were or uh, is, you know, have things just been changed uh, forever? Well, I hope we never go back to the way things wow. were. Because I think a lot of people were suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, especially those people who, you know, in addition to being full-time workers, were also caregivers, mm-hmm. whether it was for an elderly parent or, or um, children. And so this whole um, facade of this work-life balance thing, I mean, it just, <laughs> it wasn't until we got sent back to our off, to our homes that we could physically see, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that person's house is a mess like mine, mm-hmm. you know, like reality hit because you could see into their homes. Yeah. Life wasn't perfect. Their, their kid was, you know, crying in the middle of a meeting. So, you know, I think this work from home experience has, has made the workplace a little more human, mm-hmm. right? And executives, you know, in the past, many of them maybe had a stay at home spouse, but now they were at home. So they're seeing it's it's not that easy, is it? Um, So I hope we never go back to where we were. I hope that employers look at individual positions and say, how much time does someone in this role really need to be on site for? Mm -hmm. Or do they even need to be on site? Interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, human humanity, humanness was, was the word that was coming to mind when you were talking as well. And and I, I hope that, that, you know, I mean, for, for many people, work-life balance was just, you know, kind of a, kind of a joke. And uh, I mean, literally, literally a joke. Uh, and, and I think it, it really has injected something quite different into the way that, that we think of work, the way that we approach work, uh, the, you know, kind of the, the do that we, we give work and, and realize that, wow, there's just, you know, there's a lot to our lives besides, you know, what we do between eight and five or nine and six or, you know, whatever, whatever your hours are. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, talk about uh, of course, you know, we've, we've outlined some of the ways that, that you can become a preferred employer, hang on to employees. Let's talk for a minute about uh, where to find employees, where to, where to dig for talent. You specifically talk about the over 50 crowd, which, uh, you know, we all know of age discrimination in the workplace. Talk, talk about uh, where you think uh, are, are some potentially lucrative uh, spots to mine for, for future workers. Well, my experience um, is that you should be looking for talent where no one else is. Mm-hmm. And so, as you mentioned, there is definitely a lot of discrimination going on. So I would advise people listening today, if they're looking for talent, 
um, to connect with, there's, there are a number of organizations out there, nonprofits that are helping people return to the workforce, meaning, you know, working parents who've stepped out and now they're back. Um, I would connect with those places to see who they might have that might be interested in working for you. Um, I would also, uh, I would be very cognizant when I was on, you know, sitting in the stands watching my kid play a sport. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe the person sitting next to me is an older parent. Maybe they're not, but they still might be someone who either is interested in working or knows someone or maybe their spouse is interested in a new opportunity. So I would just be constantly scanning the environment. And, uh, you know, I would be asking my friends on Facebook, you know, hey, I'm looking for a mature worker who's got, you know, the ability to work some flex hours or whatever. Like I would just do a full on campaign. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say if a younger person came into my net, I would throw them out. Absolutely not but I would really cast a wide net so that, you know, I have, I had more than like one person to choose from. In your book, you say that, you know, uh, getting to a place where we can have uh, effective, meaningful conversations, not just discussions that are often one-sided between employer and employee, but but real, true, effective communication. And you have, I, I love alliteration, so you have the seven principles, which are all C words. Uh, but are, are you... Are you optimistic uh, as we wrap things up here that that we're evolving to a place where we we are truly having sincere, you know, uh, dialogue and 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 two sided conversations instead of one person with all the power and one person with no power, uh, you know, trying to figure out what that dynamic looks like. Well, I'm optimistic that we can get there. Do I think we're there? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not which is why I wrote the book, right? (laughs) Because I really feel like, I mean, it even happened to me where, you know, my boss said, can we talk? And, you know, I just sat there like a bobblehead, (laughs) you know, and she talked to me and she said all these things. And then I just bobbed my head up and down and I literally gave her my power. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, even though what she was saying, much of it was not true. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote this book in a way that I hope will empower people on the other side of that conversation as well to say, Hey, let's take a pause here. Um, I'd like to respond to, you know, two things that you just said Mm -hmm. so that they are participating Mm -hmm. in the conversation Mm -hmm. and they're not just sitting idly by, you know, watching their whole life go by in front of them. Yeah. Well, we'll end it there. The book, can we talk seven principles for managing difficult conversations at work? The author, Roberta Matusan of Matusan consulting. Thanks so much for being our guest. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Okay. And thank you for joining us. I'm David G., Content Director and Editor-in-Chief at Boating Industry. We will see you next time. Thanks again for listening to this edition of Boating Industry Insider. We'd love your feedback or let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes. Happy boating. Happy boating.